It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Andrew Bowser. And I'm Sapphire Sandalo. And welcome to Alter Weekly. Coming up on the show, we talk with Jeffrey Reddick about how his passion for horror began and how he created the ultimate horror villain in the Final Destination franchise. Then we're joined by Prince Jackson of the Nightlight Podcast to discuss the 1989 cult classic, Society. But first, we're going to do another uh, exercise in cocology. We did the, the, the cube test last time. We're going to do a different test this time. Safar, what does cocology mean exactly? Let me tell you, Bowser. Um, okay. So according to the back of this book, created by a famous Japanese psychologist, kokology is the study of kokoro. I don't know if I said that right. Mind or spirit in Japanese. Okay. So which one are we going to do today? And am I just this subject or are we both going to weigh in on this? Um, I'll, I'll say my answers too, since I haven't read this in years. So I don't remember okay. what each thing means. Okay. So it'll be fair. <laughs> and, and hopefully the results of this one aren't that I'm a friendless asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm I'm worried. I'm like, oh no, what's what will this reveal about me? Yeah, yeah. So this one's called Into the Depths. Ooh. I picked it because it looked spooky. Perfect. Okay. You are in an old abandoned building where no human has set foot for years and have discovered a staircase leading underground. Slowly you make your way down, counting the steps as you go. One step, two step three steps how many steps is it to the bottom of the stairs six bottom line okay, wait, i had to think of my answer first oh yeah uh, are our answers going to influence yeah, each other yeah 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 so wait wait okay so we'll oh yeah should we, we think, both think first, first okay, and then okay. say it okay okay <laughs> thanks for fucking it up <laughs> well okay, it was so. six <laughs> all right let me think so i'm in an old abandoned building no human i'm say mine's like 12 okay all right here we go the underground room is pitch black. Then, from the darkness, you hear the sound of another person. Is the person weeping softly, moaning wordlessly? Is it a voice speaking to you? Oh, yeah, I got my answer. And I Wait, no. underground room is pitch black. Uh, let me see. Okay, I got mine. Go for it. I heard a screech. I heard like a... I, I almost didn't know if it was human at first. I thought it, it was like metal on the ground. Interesting. But it's like a, it's like a scree screech. But that, it says it's a person. Well, I'm saying it was. It was a person. <laughs> okay. But it uh, just sounded metallic at first, but right, it was it actually a human like screeching. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so mine, uh, mine was like whispers, and they were saying, don't go in there. Ah, like, okay. Don't go in the room. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I okay. got it. How do you react on hearing the sound of this other person? <laughs> it's funny to watch you sit there and, and think through it, experience it. You know, what's weird is I don't run. I, I, I'm scared, but I'm kind of like, I feel like that's why I'm there though, is to deal with whatever this thing is. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. like, hello, or like, you know, show yourself type of energy. 
Interesting. Like, yeah, I feel I like just... it's something that could be soothed. Mm-hmm. Similar. I'm similar. Um, like, I'm scared at first because the voice comes out of nowhere and is telling me not to go in a room. Yeah. But then I'm like, well, I came down here to go in this room, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in. Even right. though I know something, I'll have my guard up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Last question. You hear a person now calling your name and see a figure descending from the light at the top of the stairs. Who is this person coming down the stairs? Okay. All right, you go ahead. Mine's pretty basic. I think it was my wife coming down the stairs. Hmm. I think I looked up and like felt some relief that uh, somebody familiar was walking down the steps and that it wasn't another thing that was kind of shrieking and putting me on edge. Hmm. Um, interesting. Mine was my sister. Huh. I don't know how I felt about it. I think I think I remember I like I, I just pictured seeing her, I don't know, feeling kind of neutral about that. I don't huh. know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you ready? Yeah. To figure out what's wrong with us. Yeah. All right. Abandoned buildings and underground rooms are highly symbolic of buried memories and old psycho psychological scars. All of us have had an experience we'd rather not recall or a heartbreak we thought we'd forgotten. But the memory is not so easily erased and the things we hoped to forget linger for longer than we'd like to admit. Your linger responses... for longer. <laughs> Your responses to this situation show how you deal with painful memories of the past. Huh. Okay. So the number of steps to the bottom of the stairs indicates the impact of the psychological scars you're bearing. People who said there were only a few stairs feel little adverse effect from the past, but those who describe a long staircase leading deep into the earth carry correspondingly deep wounds inside. Huh. So you said six and I said yeah, 12. I six. Yeah. Is but that... I feel like I fucking live in the past. I feel like all I do is think I, I can think about shit from like the ninth grade where I'm like, ah, fuck me. Why did I fucking do, you know, like, Same. But, yeah. Oh my God, dude, seriously. Like, I don't know what is up with me lately, but I keep reliving these like three really embarrassing moments from high school, from and high like, school. I need it. I need it out of my brain. Like I need eternal sunshine in my brain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Recently for me too, recently, meaning last night, I was having some thoughts about high school where I was just like, what? I was struck by how at my age, I did the math. I was like, how long has it been since high school? And you're still sitting here thinking about that moment. I was like, dude, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> wild. Um, all right, here we go. Number two, the sounds you heard out of the darkness reveal how you got through bad experiences in your past. Those who said they heard weeping have been comforted by others in times of trouble and recovered with the help they received. The people who took care of you in their kindness have helped you become the person you are today. The tears you cried were not in vain. People who heard wordless moaning went through the hard times in their past alone. The moaning you hear in the dark is your own buried pain. Perhaps the time has come to open the door and let the sun shine in. Things won't look so bleak in the light of day. Those who heard a voice speaking to them wear their old scars like a badge of honor, refusing to think of them as wounds. Yeah. Well, what does a fucking metallic screech mean? I don't, mine was what? Mine was like creepy whispers. With whispers, yeah. Oh, I don't know if that counts either. Wow. I mean, I def, I maybe it's like for both of us, we didn't shy away from something that was possibly, yes, uh, dark or menacing or foreboding. Yeah. We 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 stayed there and mm -hmm. had our defenses up, but you know the screeching 
didn't make me run and hide or flee. So maybe we're kind of pressing into whatever it is that the scar is. I like that. All right, number three. We're just making up our own rules. <laughs> hey, we're, we're co-colleges now. Yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. Your reaction to the sounds in the darkness shows how you deal with the painful aspects of your own past. If you went out to search for the source of a sound, it's likely you show the same take charge attitude in your own life. By facing your problems head on, you're bound to discover solutions. Those of you who ran straight back upstairs without confronting the sounds have a history of ignoring problems in the hopes that they'll just go away. That approach may work sometimes, but don't be surprised when trouble stays around longer than you anticipated. Sometimes you need to stand and face your fears. If you are frozen in place with fear, it may be that you have unresolved conflicts in your own past that continue to haunt you and keep you from moving ahead with your life. So we both were still willing to like go through the room. Yeah. So yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I feel like yeah, we that's the reason we're doing this. We want to totally dive into our brain. Yeah, totally. All right, last one. The person who appeared at the top of the stairs calling your name is someone you feel you can rely on in times oh, of trouble. Good. The name you gave is <laughs> oh good. <laughs> uh, the name you gave is the person you believe will comfort you and help to heal your inner wounds oh wow well that makes sense oh. that tracks yeah would and you say yeah, I mean, your sister also, is that well yeah uh we talk every single day and yeah. i think specifically for this like the whole thing is about like facing your past and my yeah. sister's been in my past like my entire life yeah um, so that makes sense yeah totally <laughs> yeah oh i hope people were playing along too oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah, and if you were, should have well, said it at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, well, if you were playing along, then uh, let us know. Tweet hashtag yeah. Alter Weekly and tell us what your basement room symbolized. Mm-hmm. News slash. That's right. It's time for your news slash. Edgar Wright is directing a new adaptation of Stephen King's Running Man. Wright's version will be written by Michael Bacall, and it'll stick closer to King's source material, rather than be a remake directly of the 1987 movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. J.J. Abrams is developing a new mind-bending thriller entitled Subject to Change for HBO Max. The drama follows a desperate college student who signs up for a clinical trial that begins a wild, harrowing, mind-and-reality-bending adventure. Jennifer Yale of Legion and Outlander has been set as the showrunner. Monster High is being made into an animated series and TV movie musical. Mattel and Nickelodeon announced plans to produce a new series that follows the fan-favorite characters Claudine Wolf, Draculaura, and Frankie Stein as they navigate the hilarity of high school in the hallowed halls of Monster High. The show will be available globally across Nickelodeon platforms in 2022. The movie musical will be released globally next year. And don't forget, your boy Bowser has a Kickstarter for his feature film, Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. If you want to back that film, go to onyxthemovie.com. And that's it. That's your news slash. News slash. Jeffrey Reddick is a writer and director who made a name for himself when he created the Final Destination franchise. We talk with him about the real-life incident that inspired the films and how he had to fight to maintain his vision. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to chat with you about horror. So why don't we start from the very beginning? How did you discover your love for horror? 
Uh, you know what? I was a horror baby. Horror. I have to make sure I pronounce that correctly. <laughs> I'm a horror baby. Um, <laughs> I, was a horror. I remember when I was young, um, uh, Silent Was Lock came on TV and my mom watched it, but she told me that I couldn't watch it. So of course I snuck into the living room in the hallway and like watched uh, that scene where Danny Glick comes, you know, comes to the window is like scratching on it. Yeah. Um, and that scene traumatized me so much. I had to sleep by my mom's bed for like a week. And my sister and her slept in the same, you know, they had a huge bed. They slept in the same bed. So my sister knew that I was scared and then they're sleeping on the floor. So she'd freak stuff to bed and like throw it at me all night, just being mean. And she knew I couldn't say anything because my mom would have tanned my butt if she knew I was. <laughs> but, you know, I think what kind of cemented my love for horror and be- made me become absolutely obsessed was A Nightmare on the Street when I saw that, that mm. film. Um, I saw it at a double feature at a drive-in. Um, we, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky. We were too poor to go to the theater. So we sat on my friend's dad's uh, truck. He was a truck driver and we turned on the CB so we could turn into the, the radio station. Oh, and it was awesome. a double feature of Alone in the Dark and Nightmare on Elm Street. Ooh. And so the trailer for Alone in the Dark looked really scary. For me, the trailer for Nightmare on Elm Street didn't look that scary because it showed the Freddy arms. And I'm like, yeah, that looks a little cheesy. Yeah. So, I wasn't expecting much from Nightmare on Elm Street. So I watched Alone in the Dark. I'm like, that was scary. And then I saw Nightmare on Elm Street and that blew my mind. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. still my favorite movie of all time. It's just hit everything that a good horror film should have. An amazing story, great characters, great villain. I mean, it's just, I think it was Wes Craven's, you know, at his, you know, put his heart and soul into that movie. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, like, not that he didn't put it into his pre- previous films, but you know, he had a hard time getting this off the ground. New Line was the only studio to pick it up. And you could just tell he put everything he had into it. And it's, yeah. it, I fell in love with the genre after that. I'm like, oh, wow, you can tell stories and, you know, you can you can discuss some issues that maybe you can talk about in other genres. And it just made me fall in love with the, with the genre. Um, and it's it's been all horror all the time ever since. So would you say that like the really gory kind of horror is like your jam. Like what's your favorite subgenre? Um, you know what it used, it used to be. Um, and I still like it if it's done well. I, I don't like the, the, the hostily kind of, I like the first hostile, but I don't like that subgenre of torture. I hate to call it torture porn, but that's what they call it. Um, you could also just call it Sapphire's favorite genre. <laughs> <laughs> this happens every episode where I'm here like defending torture porn. Oh no, like, you don't have to. No, that's the thing is like, that's a great, that's what I love about our genre. Again, there's so many subgenres that, you know, because I know people that just can't even watch a scary movie, like yeah. even a PG-13 right. scary movie because it gives them nightmares. So I never try to talk, you know, I never diss anybody for their, their, yeah, like that's what I love about the genre. It's like, there's so many subgenres to pick yeah. from. I think Supernatural is probably... My favorite, it, it, most of the stuff I tend tends to be in the supernatural genre. Um, I, I've written a couple of slasher films that I, you know, I still love slashers, but um, it just seems like you'd have more fun. I think Nightmare on Elm Street really influenced me in, you know, that kind of fantasy horror world where, you know, rules can be broken and things can happen. So I like that. I, I, I tend to write that more. Well, what led to, what led to the creation of uh, Final Destination? Well, you know, like, um, like all things, it was a journey for sure. Like, you know, people, you know, and I always like to tell the whole story just because I, I know people, they they hear something and they just think like, oh, I just typed this out one day and then it got made into a movie a year later. Right. It was a it was an interesting process. Like I, I got the idea from, I, I read an article in People Magazine 
where a woman was taking a flight home from vacation the next day and her mom called her and said, don't take that flight. I have a bad feeling about it. Oh, and so wow. she changed flights and the plane crashed. And I read that on a plane ride home to <laughs> Kentucky, actually. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I didn't think of a movie immediately. Um, but then a couple of years later, when I was in, uh, I lived in New York and I was trying to get a TV agent, you know, they said, well, you have to write a spec script for something that's on television. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, I love the X-Files. So let me write an X-Files mm-hmm. spec script. And then I used that premonition as set up for an X-Files episode. Uh, but then my friends at New Line, you know, I passed a script around to them just to get their feedback. They're like, dude, there's a movie in here. You should not mm-hmm. turn this oh. off for a TV. Like, this is a good idea. So um, one of my friends at New Line, Chris Bender, worked for these producers, J.C. Spink and Craig Perry, and we developed it. And, it, you know, the beginning, the first time that I wrote it, it was all adults that were on the, you know, which is much hmm. more the flavor of part two. But Scream had come out, uh, which I love. Mm-hmm. And so teenager, you know, you know how the business is. It's always like, we got to do what's hot now. So it's like, well, teenagers, <laughs> make them all teenagers. I'm like, all right, cool. Then they're like, well, we we lo- we really like it, and it was like a six to eight month process with New Line where they kept because I worked there at the time. They just kept passing on it because they're like, we just death, you know, you don't have a killer that they can fight. We don't, honor, you, you know, it's and the then finally, Craig, killer. yeah, <laughs> I'm like, that's the point. It's death. <laughs> yeah. And Craig was finally like, if you pass on it again, we're going to Miramax, and they're like, we'll buy it. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow so there was a you know it was a it was a long creative process um and even when they brought on James Wan and Glenn Morgan um and James directed James had to fight to like not show a killer like they were still like Mm. trying to get the director and I'm so glad he fought not to show that because that's I think why the movie you know stands the test of time is because no matter what part of the world you live in no matter what your you know religious beliefs if you're not religious no matter what you believe since we don't show death and it's just kind of, it's death, it's out there. Yeah. Nobody gets, you know, everybody can put their own version of, of what death is onto that. So um, what were they, what, what, what were the suggestions to actually show a specter yeah. of some kind, a it shadow? Was, there was one point they wanted a, a specter. And I actually gave them that in one draft and like the very last scene, I had a quick shadowy form of it show up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this, this was back, you know, because I at first I wrote a treatment and when New Line bought it, they had me write the, the script. But, you know, back when New Line was, try- they wanted it and they were trying to crack it. I know that they, I saw one, you know, they were going out to other writers behind my back, you know, <laughs> talking to them, <laughs> trying to figure out how can we crack this and then we'll just buy it from Jeff. And, um, yeah. You know, I saw one where it was like a guy with a suit and a cane, you know, and a black hat, this mysterious guy they would go around. And they, right. They were, yeah, so there was either the monster or ghost versions or something like that. But, wow. you know, it was, I always thought that just have it, you know, because it's just death, you know. Right. It's just so interesting because I remember when I first saw the trailer for that in theaters, I remember immediately thinking as a horror fan, I was like, oh, yeah, that's tight. That's tight. Like I immediately recognized <laughs> right? it as a novel, a novel idea that was exciting to me as a horror fan because it didn't have a, a slasher because it didn't mm-hmm. have, and I love slasher movies, but I just felt like when I was first introduced to it, it kind of hit like something I hadn't seen before. That was my immediate yeah. response in an exciting way. And also just like me, I, I have like major health anxiety. So I'm constantly just like wondering like when I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> and so like the Final Destination franchise just like hits me in <laughs> a way <Aww>. that other <laughs> horror movies don't. Like just because I am constantly just afraid of 
everything about to kill me. I yeah. just had a premonition, Sapphire. You are fine. You're okay. going to have a full <laughs> life. You're going to have a long, healthy life. So you can let that stuff go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. It's something I'm working on in therapy. <laughs> I feel like the second one, and correct me if I'm wrong, starts to establish more of like the visual language um i guess in in almost a stunt way like the way the way really great action scenes are covered or should be covered i mean you always kind of see the things that lead to the death but i feel like in two it was amped up with the real deconstruction of those key moments that start to unlock and they and, and you know even the playful moments of of uh of it not being what you think it is that's going to lead to the death and all of that is so is so fun. It's so interesting for me as a fan to think back. What if it were a, a specter, a shadow figure right. moving? It just—I don't think it would have the same no, power. Yeah, it wouldn't have had. I don't think it would have had the same legs at all. And yeah, and I, you know, I think that's that's part of being a fan. You know, that's the difference between being a fan of you know and not being a fan of when you when you're writing a movie like this. Right. For the sequel, like I knew, okay, people are going to expect another team version so let me start off with a group of teenagers and kill them all off except uh-huh. for Kimberly in the opening and then I knew I wanted to expand the mythology you know and, and show that the people that it, in part two were only alive because the people in part one had cheated death uh-huh. I knew I wanted to bring you know some OG characters back from the first film so there were things that I knew as a fan that I love that I wanted to make sure happen in this movie uh-huh. and the thing that's also great about you know working in the business and also having it produced like Craig is like we, you know we talk and we're like you know the death scene's are cool, but what's really getting the audiences is that buildup. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. you know, it's that buildup of is it going to happen this way? So Craig was very mindful as a producer, you know, even going forward with other screenwriters, you know, in future films, like when yeah. talk, he's like, he's always like, it's about the buildup. You know, yes, you want to have the release, but it's all, the, you know, the buildup is what gets everybody clutching their seats in the theater. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah. it takes somebody, you know, smart, you know, you just need smart people behind the scenes that are taking care of your baby <laughs> to yeah. make sure grows up, you know, grows up right. <laughs> well, we should talk about uh, your altar short, yeah. Good Samaritan. Um, where did the idea for this project come from? Well, it's, uh, it's funny because I, I had a feature script um, that was called Good Samaritan. Um, and it stemmed, the idea stemmed from the Kitty Genevieve story, which, mm-hmm. um, it, if you have, it's kind of an urban legend, but mm-hmm. a woman was assaulted um, in New York. And the story that kind of went out to the world was that like 30 people like oh, heard and seen it, saw it, right. and did nothing. Yeah. Did nothing. So that became part of our kind of zeitgeist for a long time. And that story always haunted me. And, you know, so I wanted to do a story about, you know, people being guilty by not helping somebody. And um, I wrote, I wrote a feature version of it and we were, you know, trying to get it financed and I wanted to direct it, but people were like, well, you got to show us you can direct first. So then I took a character from the feature and then wrote a, a short around this one character who is the guy who records the assault, but doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something starts haunting him at his home and eventually kills him. And it's kind of open-ended where it could be supernatural. It could have been him feeling guilty in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wanted to explore that. And I, again, I think that's another universal theme, something that we can all relate to because we all see stuff happen all the time. Maybe not severe as somebody getting beaten to death. But yeah. See all kinds of stuff happen every day where we're like, should I get involved? Should I not? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Bystander effect. Bystander effect, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, and the funny thing is, um, I ended up making a, a feature version of the film called Don't Look Back, which is conveniently sitting on my shoulder. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but on the way to shoot the feature version, there was a documentary on the plane. It's so funny, this some stuff just happens on planes. There was a documentary <laughs> about Kitty Genovese on the plane. And the true and the true story, it was it's a fascinating thing, is that whole urban legend that we heard wasn't true. Mm. What happened is a reporter went down there. He was supposed to just go down and cover this murder case. And he was, you know, to be honest, just an asshole reporter that went down there. It's like, oh, it's a murder case. What can I, I can't do it? But then when he started talking to people and they were like, yeah, I heard something, he realized he could put a spin on it to, mm. out, to sell it. And so it became this urban legend and the people in the complex were demonized and the, you know, the documentary actually interviews people and you find out that some people did call the police, but you know, there was a point where she, where the killer went away and then came back. And, and so there was, there were people, and there was somebody that was with her in the sterile when she passed. So there were people that did stuff and the reporters left that out of the story. Wow. So this whole story kind of took on a life of its own. So I was flying down to shoot the film and I'm like, well, this is, a, this is interesting, you know, yeah. it's playing on the plane. <laughs> I yeah. hope the plane doesn't crash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want too much coincidence. Yeah. In this. <laughs> yeah. But the short was, um, I have to say the short was such a fun experience. Um, because I got a couple of things happened. I got to work with Rain Wilson, who's a who's a friend who I admire so much. Um, you know, I got to work with Toby Hemingway. He's an amazingly talented actor, mm -hmm. and I got to work with Jane Badler, who played Diana on the original V miniseries. Mm -hmm. And her and Heather Langenkamp are like my horror goddesses. Yeah, she's sci-fi. Jane is sci-fi. Yeah. they're like my two goddesses growing up. Like. It, Nancy, Heather Langenkamp in Nightmare on Elm Street and, and Jane Badler, Diane and B. And um, that's what I love about the business too. It's like, you get to meet people. I mean, like Tony Todd was in Final Destination. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. You know, Candyman was in my movie. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you get to get to meet people that you admired and thank God in the horror genre, especially 95% of the people that I've met have been wonderful, which I know yeah, is not the case. Awesome. If you kind of take a sampling of like, Mm -hmm. you know actors and directors across just the whole spectrum yeah. um most of them have been like m really most have been wonderful and I, I haven't admired anybody who I met and was like ah oh, they just ruined it for me you know yeah <laughs> yeah so I've been yeah. very fortunate but everybody has been so wonderful um so to even meet the people that you grew up admiring and now some of them are friends of mine it's like holy yeah crap. yeah well, we like to do a segment on the show called Crazy Cues, where we ask a few <laughs> random questions at the end of our interview. Okay. Uh, if you're ready for this, the first- I'm ready for anything. <laughs> the first crazy cue is, yes. do you have a hot take on, uh, on the horror genre? Something that you don't feel like a lot of other people that work in the genre space uh, share that opinion? Do you have maybe you know spicy I, opinion? Yeah, like I love <laughs> Halloween three. I, I honestly, it might be my favorite Halloween. That would be my hot take. Yeah, Do you have a hot take of this a horror is, genre. Well, if it's a hot take that's going to be controversial, I don't think Nightmare on Elm Street three is the best. <laughs> that's the opposite of the uh, kind of hot take I want to hear. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, no, no, all no, hot but, takes okay. are welcome. All hot takes are welcome. All I, I, I want to love it because it brought Nancy back. Yeah, but mm -hmm. the fact that it killed her, and the fact that the Dream Warriors were set up, but then they only got to have like one little scene where they use their power and they get murdered. It just felt like yeah. it was 
and I know Wes Craven wrote a much bigger one yeah. and they had to do the one that they did because of budget. But the love that I want to have for Nightmare on Elm Street is just not there, except for Heather mm. Langenkamp. I do like the Dream Warriors, but um, yeah, I know that that's a lot of people's favorite. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> that's a that great spicy. hot take. There you go. Yes. That is a spicy take. <laughs> is there a horror movie that you would like to be in like not as an actor but like living in the world of that horror movie well the funny thing is I've thought about this a lot because I'm like but there's always a but so but I I have thought about this a lot I'm like I would love to be in a slasher movie because I've seen enough of them that I think I could get away from the killer Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that I don't get killed (laughs) (laughs) right yeah so I would love any slot put me in any slasher movie I I think that I would be smarter than they, than the, a killer. So yes, I w- would love to be in a slasher movie. Well, the last crazy cue is, have you ever experienced a real life horror scenario, whether it be something supernatural or whether it just be, you know, you had a weird ride with an Uber driver. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got plenty of weird Uber rides. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> uh, well, I haven't had any personal, but this is again, where my biggest fear comes. It's, it's from people, um, you know, I, me and a group of friends were like attacked. Me and a group of my gay friends were were attacked one time, um, and I think oh, that wow. that I think that you know fear of you know either racial bigotry, which I've certainly faced, and also homophobia, which I faced. Um, that stuff scares me mm-hmm. more than anything else because it's it's still very prevalent out there, even though we like to think we're in some kind of new woke era. Um, right. So that's the stuff that scares me the most. Yeah. Right. Seeing how evil people can be to each other yeah it is terrifying and it's Mm -hmm. become ever more apparent it seems like at least over the last four years um became very apparent how rampant it all still is um well jeffrey where can people watch don't look back where can they find you on social media how can they keep up on the different projects that you're working on both as a writer and director yeah uh the best place to follow me on social media is is Twitter. Uh, my handle is Jeffrey A. Reddick. And um, I'm the same on Instagram, but I'm just not a big, I don't do enough. I'm, I just write all the time. So I'm like, I feel like you have to be doing exciting things all the time to post yeah. on Instagram. So <laughs> I may start doing like those um, videos where it's, I just record myself typing to make it sound soothing. MR, what's it? ASMR. Thank ASMR. You. <laughs> Thank you, Sapphire. So I may just do that and start that on Instagram so I can get more followers. But Twitter is the best place to follow me. <laughs> Um, Don't Look Back is available. Um, you can see it on Amazon, iTunes, all the streaming services, or you can order it on DVD or Blu-ray. It's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely update people on Twitter and I and on Instagram on what I'm doing as well. I also found out on Instagram, I've talked too much, but um, when I first got on there, I added all my friends from Facebook and I didn't know you can only follow 7,500 people. You can have as many followers as you want. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, you can only follow 7,500. So I added I that. all my 5,000 people from Facebook. And then I went through like a dumbass just adding all these cute guys as they. <laughs> <laughs> and then my real friends. And so now it's like, I can't, I, I keep hitting my limit. And every time I have right. to follow somebody, I have to go through and you have to people. get rid of someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole thing. So if I don't oh, follow you back gosh. on Instagram, it's not, I will at some point, I just got to go through and find those dumb accounts that yeah. I don't really offended. care about. <laughs> totally. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That was no, a great No, thanks for having me and, and Sapphire. And like I said, don't worry, you're, you're safe. 
I yes, thank you. You, you. at least got the death <laughs> thing off of you. Now, you know, dumb people, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you so much. Of course, thank you all. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Oh no, it's time for Better Off Dead, the segment where we discuss a possibly problematic cult classic, and whether or not it should survive, or whether or not it's better off dead. Today we talk with Prince Jackson from Nightlight Podcast about the 1989 classic, Society. Prince, thanks for joining us tonight. We're so excited to talk with you. There's a lot to cover. (laughs) (laughs) I want to quickly quickly just have, uh, for the Alter Weekly listeners that don't know about your podcast, tell people about your podcast and uh, what you discuss over there on your show. Absolutely. Well, for those who don't know me, my show is called Nightlight, a horror movie podcast, and it's on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, where we take films that are in the horror genre or horror adjacent um, to where we actually just break it down literally scene by scene. So we spoil the entire film. (laughs) And throughout that, we just talk about either theories or what makes a horror film a fun horror film or even if we cover a bad horror film, quote unquote, um, then it's always another dive into as to why that is still such a good horror film. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. so much fun. It, it's, just, it's a lot of fun. But we initially do all of this to discuss and break down the, the main question that we have for the show, which is why horror? Yeah, And it's just like the whole basis of why are we so attracted to it and why do we keep coming back to it? And it's 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 a lot of fun. It is a yeah. lot of fun. Awesome. It is a fun podcast. It's a great listen. Um, another topic I wanted to cover quickly before we get into our main discussion is you're a, uh, a new father. And I as know. a, hor- I mean, a very new father. And as a horror fan, what do you think about uh, introducing your child to the horror genre? When does that happen? We, we, <laughs> we did an interview last week with uh, people that run a, a spooky podcast for kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. It was a great discussion. We also talked to a guy who wrote an article about um, how how fatherhood changed how he watches horror now. Oh, yeah, like that he had a totally harder, happens. He had a harder <laughs> time with it after he had a child. He, he just couldn't take the the stress and the the visceral really? nature of it. Yeah, I feel like it's the absolute opposite for me. It, it, really? It's like, oh, oh yeah, it, it's so strange, like very much how I feel like um, Gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. 
I don't even know how I'm blanking out his name because it totally just popped in my head. David Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, but how he created the brood and how he was like going into fatherhood and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, I wanted to watch all these films that had to do with like opposite uh, I guess, gender pregnancies. So like mm -hmm. the mortuary collection or mm -hmm. alien um, splice and, and just all these different, very interesting films that tackle pregnancy in a very different way. You and, weren't and, reading and, what to expect when you're expecting. You were watching, <laughs> you're watching the brood and splice. And that's what I feel like it was like, it, yeah. it, it's like I, in honestly, the apps would scare me more on like mm. what to expect because it's just like this thing coming out of my life. And, and that's what it felt like <laughs> in that moment. And um, when now that she's here, my daughter, Ellie, um, she, it, it's been such an interesting way to see her grow and things like that. But like for some odd reason, I'm just like, yeah, I want to see all this stuff now. And it's it's very weird. And I, it might be the fact that like I saw my wife give birth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and like, like once you see that, it's just like shit. Bring it on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't see anything. Cronenberg, <laughs> in a way, kind of leads us to our main discussion because he's known for body horror. He's known for grotesque mutations of the human form, and we are going to talk about society mm. right now. <laughs> Sapphire couldn't be more excited. <sighs> so excited. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, the, the Junji Ito shirt like says it all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wore this um, for this occasion. That's oh, perfect. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> so, real briefly, for those that don't know the film, it's a really difficult film to explain. Um, it really is. It's about a teenager that starts to uh, suspect that his family is involved in a, I guess you'd say a cannibalistic cult of some kind. There's shady business going on. He doesn't know why uh, and who exactly is implicated in the shady business. And then at the end of the movie, all of their bodies join together <laughs> in one gooey mess of an orgy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Very goopy. Very yeah. goopy. And I I like to think Sausage Party definitely ended their film in a very similar way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the, the visuals from that sequence, I have I, I have seen influence different horror films over the years, but no one really just like goes all out like society goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Society um, takes it there. They take it there. And uh, it's kind of what the movie's known for. I mean, that shunting is what the movie's most known for what are each of your relationships like with this movie do you like it do you not when did you see it oh um i i could go first <laughs> um i first saw the saw society back in college okay and when i watched it in college it was 2009 maybe i think i was a freshman and it was this thing that everyone tried to do. All my roommates and um, pretty much all my neighbors knew I was the horror guy. And they would always was just like, they would even watch these films themselves. They would just like look them up online and like most like notorious effed up horror films ever. And then <laughs> yeah. just like send them the prints. So I got things like um, Human Centipede. Uh, <laughs> uh, gosh, the Poughkeepsie tapes. I oh, got yeah. um, Enter the Void. Um, and, and just just these very interesting films. 
And then when society came up, fell in love with it. I was like, oh, my God, like this is corny and cheesy, like 16 <laughs> Candles or like a John Candy film of anything. And it's just once it goes off the rails and you are suspecting everything and like the whole town is a part of society. Yeah, it's such a beautiful film in general. <laughs> of how it depicts society and how it depicts the re- the rich eating off the poor. And it's just, oh, gosh, I would just live to just have seen this film back in the 80s. Yeah, like I just in wanted theaters. to be there. Oh, yes. yeah. I like oh, it. It's, it's like gosh. your friends make you watch it. And then it's like, joke's on you. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sapphire, do you wish you had seen this film in the movie theaters in the 80s? <laughs> Well, when did this come out in 89? I think I was one years old. <laughs> I think it's 89. Think it's 89. Yeah. If I'm wrong, I will correct yeah. myself in the edit of this podcast. Yeah, I think it is. Um, <laughs> I, I think it would have probably mortified me if I saw it when I was younger and not an adult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I had never even heard of this movie until what, like a month ago or so. <laughs> okay. Really? Um, yeah. Well, I think, totally- yeah, what, what- was it when, when Prince brought up us discussing it? Is that the first time you I heard about think, it? I think you had mentioned it at some point. Yeah, yeah. You just mentioned it. Um, <sighs> but I, I knew, so I went into this movie knowing absolutely nothing, right. um, which is the way to go, apparently. It is. Yeah. <laughs> 100% so I is. Very confused. <laughs> but here's, here's my problem is that I, if I get so annoyed with how tropey things are, um, it distracts me so much where I was just like, uh, and I was like, not a single person of color. Everything is so trophy. Like I was just like very annoyed. Sure. Yeah. And like, I think it, but I, I loved the end though, just because it goes so batshit crazy. Yeah. Right. But I wish, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I, I wanted the, the lead up to that to be better. Cause I kind of felt myself going, okay, when is it going to get like real wacky? Right. It's such a hard movie to, when we, when we discuss a film, in this segment, in Better Off Dead, we, we try to ask the question, you know, are there perspectives presented in this film and, and depictions shown that are problematic? And uh, by today's standards, especially. And with a film like this, it's really hard, I, I find, to sift through that question because it's just it's just batshit. And, and a lot of what you could criticize it for, it also kind of is, is what it's making a statement on. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. In a way, right? Like even the idea that it is uh, that the film has no depictions of people of color. I guess the movie is kind of about this like white society that has right. kept everyone else out that uh, doesn't fit their mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not to immediately defend society off the bat. But <laughs> right. No, no, of course. I'm just saying it's a hard movie to criticize because there's a lot going on. And even I can't track its its perspective. Like, I mean, what is it saying? Even right. the fact that it was written by a Filipino American, right? Stop like Brian, it. Brian Yuzna, yeah, Stop Brian it. Yuzna was it is, really is, he, my he's, people. <laughs> <laughs> he's from Manila. Yeah, he's from Manila. And um, it's so when when Brian Yuzna, I feel like had this depiction of this film, like that's that was so interesting to see it come from that particular lens because i mean he very much works very close alongside with Stuart gordon yeah um and pretty much the whole body horror pack but um with that being said like it does have that particular depiction of how society or how white society would see themselves right where um this whole thing of the rich feeding on the poor and things like that and i'm 
I, I want to say that's one of the reasons why they made the decision to not have um, any people of color within this film, because they didn't want it to feel like it was something as of like, oh, these white people are only going after black folk mm. or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but with all of that being said, like, I, I do find it very intriguing that this came from like the mind of Brian Usna. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Which begs the question, does that kind of recontextualize it's it's statement when when um you find because you know i I've, I've had an opinion on a film and then i find that the you know even down to like well i don't believe that that would happen and then i find out right. that the person that wrote it based it on a real thing that they lived through and i'm like mm. oh well does that change my opinion because i judged it as being uh maybe hard to believe but then i find mm-hmm. out it's based on a true story does it change the how you receive the film when you find out that that the perspective might not have been the perspective you imagined writing it or does it not is the material there to speak for itself i mean i guess it depends right like this definitely happens a lot where you see films like the strangers or something like that um but where it really kind of i guess makes this film a bit harder to digest like if we take away the body horror behind society like you have incest orgies uh, <laughs> like if there's just so many elements to all of this and it it, it all breaks it down to where it kind of makes you think like okay like this makes me feel a little weirded out when it comes to society in general and um not necessarily the movie but yeah. society for real like, like it's we just live in a society exactly <laughs> we live so, in a society <laughs> so uh, iq for a joker um, uh-huh. but like it's just it's just so intriguing to see how aspects of this film, when you take away the layers of how like really fucked up this movie is. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like, so it's, it's very intriguing. And it all starts happening. I know the craziest thing is the ending, but in rewatching it before tonight, uh, I mean, man, stuff starts happening right away, which I, I find oh, yeah. uh, a discombobulating to a degree because Stuff's happening before I really know who this guy is, uh, Billy. I, before I really know much about the context, I, I, it, there's already things growing out of people's backs and people's bodies <laughs> getting turned around in the shower, like <laughs> ten minutes yeah. in. Yeah, it happens. But then I also res- quick. Uh, yeah, I also then kind of just respect it. I'm like, all right. right. Yeah, it, I it, do. <laughs> you know, can I? Okay, I was confused. I'll, I'll admit, I was a little confused for like most of the movie just because no, I, yeah. Part of the reason, and this really bothered me, is that sometimes they referred to people by their first name and sometimes they referred to as their last name. So it took me a while totally. to figure out who was who that they were talking about because right. I was like, wait, Blanchard, wait, David, they're the same person. <laughs> and like, it really confused me. I know that's so stupid, but I. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it is confusing. It it was definitely uh, there's layers within this film that don't make too much sense. I feel like to the point where it's just (laughs) it you can get lost, especially with like the acting and so on and so forth. Because it's what two years prior to this, like we got Brian Usna who uh, directed what uh, Bride of Reanimator, right? Where you you have Jeffrey Combs and things like that, and then very very quickly after that he made from beyond or he produced from beyond yeah and helped write from beyond with Stuart gordon and it's it's those particular aspects that you see it and you're just like whoa it's just mm-hmm. you, you you go from this and 
it totally society was just a movie that was made because he had extra money laying around like, he was just uh-huh. like oh, yeah let's do it like you know this is whatever yeah. you take a couple of scripts from two guys i think it was rick fry and woody uh woody keith i think it might someone might correct me on that one but both of them when they came up with this particular script was just interesting um to say the least of how they viewed society yeah I feel like if I if I have a, a criticism for the film, I uh, I would say what Stuart Gordon brought to their partnership, I feel like was uh, the depth of character and right. was the the performances that kind of transcend the material even at times. Like w- like from beyond, when I rewatch from beyond almost daily. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm just blown away by the performance that uh, that Barbara Crampton gives. She's she's right. given such a wide spectrum to play in, and and then with society, I feel like almost because it moves so fast and because it's so wild, there's not as much time spent getting to know any of these people. Right. Yeah. But I, yeah, but I think that was intentional. Like it's a weird thing to criticize it for because I don't I don't think they thought they were doing anything else. Right. It's intentional for us to not know who these people are that we're watching. Yeah, in a way, yeah. In a way, I wonder if he was presenting these people, and maybe this is me reading too much into it, almost purposefully at a superficial level. Like, I don't know, that one's right. Billy. I don't know, that one's Stacy. Like, they're just these types. And, you know, we're moving through a story based on, like, familiar 80s teens and uh, and I'm gonna fuck with it all. I'm gonna put it all in a blender. Uh, right. I don't I don't think that w- makes the film work necessarily, but I could see that being an intent that Brian Usna had. Like if I were to say, I didn't really get to know the characters and he was like, you're not meant to. It's meant to be a wild fucking ride where these almost two dimensional, you know, uh, like archetypes are presented and then like mutated. And that's the exercise. Right. Hmm. I don't know. I I, I think I, I, I'm going to have to agree because everybody looks the same in this movie, <laughs> yeah. which mm-hmm. also makes it very confusing. And when they start to transform and kind of conjoin into each other and have this goo falling off their back and they want to touch it and rub faces, feeding <laughs> faceless people alcohol, it's all because they look the same. And it's, yeah. it's, it's just everyone blends in within this film. And the reason behind that to me is mainly because that's kind of life everyone just kind of just blends in into life like it's very hard to i guess make your stamp sometimes and it's right it's very intriguing to see how that all runs down and and things like that and and i feel like it's fun when we create like these personas for ourselves like for me i'm everyone calls me the head knight um mm-hmm. and like Bowser, you have Onyx and <laughs> yeah. Sapphire, you're just cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sapphire's like completely comfortable in her own skin and is cool as is. <laughs> but it, it's just all these particular depictions that you see within this film that make it feel so oddly organic. And it's just, it's, I could go on and on about how society has so many different types of allegories and all this, yeah. this, and that. But it is a film that I feel like should be talked about a little bit more, especially within the horror community to mm. um, kind of depict those allegories and see if it can be something that can be remade to today's standards. Well, that is the big question for Better Off Dead is, uh, could 
society be remade for 2021 audiences and uh and what's and if so what statement would it make would it just need to mirror whatever statement the original made or could you see this approach uh delivering something kind of wholly new and original for a 2021 audience i don't think there's a remake of society that exists that does not end with the shunting (laughs) <laughs> that has to happen. Right. Yeah. But what gets us there? What 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 allegories that would uh connect with a modern audience need to be dealt with? Any ideas right. on that? Or does this thing need to stay in the 80s? <laughs> it's better off dead. <laughs> I uh think it can be actually remade. And I think in some Correct ways it, answer. Oh <laughs> and I, I think in some ways it already has been done. Like if you take Jordan Peele's Get Out, that's pretty mm-hmm. much society. Mm-hmm. And it, it's yeah. just obviously without the shunting, we have the sunken place instead, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then that that transformation of body parts of minds going somewhere else, being sunken down into complete oblivion of poverty. But with that being said, yes, 100% society can be remade. And I would actually love to see it from a person of color's perspective. Yeah, Kind of like the way I picture it is very much kind of like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Going to yeah. Bel Air for the first time, and you know you're staying with with um, a family, a group of family members that you technically have never really been involved in. Yeah, and yet it turns out that they are a part of this larger scheme of society, and I, I think that would just be very fun to see broken down in the way of someone coming from a low income area and going to just this higher echelon of yeah bar none place and it it could even be a musician or someone who just like makes it or their form of making it and i i feel like that would just be really clever and really interesting to see and 100 percent, just like i feel like the whole like i don't know movie and music industry and whatnot there's a shunting somewhere Oh right. yeah, for sure. Oh, it's happening. 100%. It's happening right now in LA somewhere. Yeah. It's happening Maybe right on the top now. floor of Capitol Records. Um, <laughs> if I was sitting on a stack of cash and 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 uh, ran a studio and someone said Fresh Prince meets Society, I would throw money at it. I love that right? idea. Right? Like, I, I feel I like that, that would be perfect. Yeah. Sapphire, what do you think? Do you have you caught a vision for a 2021 society? <laughs> um, you know what? So every time we do this segment, it's so interesting because like when you think about a lot of what people remember about these movies, like so much of what makes the movie is the fact that it came out in the time that it did come out. Like, you know, the the effects are great for the time, but it's kind of mm-hmm. corny, and that's kind of why it has this charm about it. So like right. if it was to be remade, it would, I mean, I'm assuming it would have better if, like practical effects, but like in doing that, does that lose the charm the charm that the yeah. original has? So, I mean, right. I, I would still love to see a remake and um, one that won't annoy me as much as <laughs> this movie did. And I know, like I talk about it all the time. It's just like, I know that it was like in the 80s or late 80s early 90s but um i'd still it's hard for me to like separate (laughs) yeah no that's fair whereas i'm the opposite i am inclined to like something if it's (laughs) from the 80s uh and especially if it has that kind of uh crude rudimentary charm right 
Well, Prince, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find uh, you on social media and your podcast on social media? Let everyone know how to find you. Of course, you can find me over on Twitter. I'm mainly on Twitter. I'm technically only on Twitter, but you can find me over on Twitter at the head night. That's night with a K. You can also find my podcast at nightlight underscore pod. And that's also night with a K as well. Um, you can also hear my voice sometimes on that new app called clubhouse. I, every now and then I pop in and do little fun rooms inside there talking about horror films with a group of people. So you can also, if you have an invitation to clubhouse, you can find me on there as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. This was fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you both for having me. That's all for this week's episode. Here's what's coming up on Alter this week. Paranormal Solutions, Inc., Episodes 7 and 8 on February 26th. And on March 1st, The Follower. Fueled by the hope of escaping her dreary suburban life, a misunderstood teen entertains the increasingly sinister advances of an internet friend in a riff on the 1966 Joyce Carol Oates story, Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? Then, suspense on March 3rd. Having survived a harrowing plane crash, an army pilot finds himself suspended from a canopy of trees high above the forest floor by his parachute. After making contact with his co-pilot on the ground, they realize that something is stalking them in the dark. That's it for this week's episode of Alter Weekly. Until next time, stay altered. If you want to help us decide what to watch next on the Alter Society, then head over to the Community tab on youtube.com slash watchalter. You can catch new episodes of Alter Weekly every Thursday. Get it wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to subscribe and download. Alter Weekly is produced by Andrew Bowser with theme music by Sapphire Sandalo. Alter Weekly is executive produced by Stephen Michael and Lauren Palmer at Gunpowder and Sky. 